Hey, Kate. Yeah? Knock, knock. Who's there? Hannah. Hannah who? Hannah Partridge in a pear tree. You've reached the CNA Newsroom. CNA Newsroom. CNA Newsroom. CNA Newsroom. Welcome to CNA Newsroom. It is beginning to look a lot like Christmas, everybody. The big feast is in just a few days. The tree is trimmed at my house. The stockings are out from a box in the attic. And I still have to get my wife a present. I bet she got me something awesome. Anyway, you're listening to CNA Newsroom a podcast that breaks down great stories and the Catholic news that matters each week. I'm your host and CNA Editor-in-Chief, J.D. Flynn. This week, we talk to a parish in Chico, California, about its efforts to support victims of recent wildfires. We look at a unique Christmas present for the homeless and the priest who inspired it. And then, to wrap things up, we talk with singing nuns about how they celebrate Christmas and how you can too. But first, here are a few of this week's top stories. The Pope has accepted the resignation of Auxiliary Bishop Alexander Salazar of Los Angeles after the Archdiocese of Los Angeles found an allegation of misconduct with a minor to be credible. U.S. bishops are calling for immigration reform after the death of a seven-year-old asylum seeker in federal custody. The child died in a hospital in El Paso, Texas, two days after she and her father turned themselves in to U.S. agents in New Mexico. Federal agents say the child's father did not report that he or his daughter were ill when they were apprehended. U.S. bishops say her death signals the, quote, profound human consequence of our failed immigration policies. And finally, in his weekly general audience in Rome, Pope Francis encouraged Christians to spend some time in silence in front of the Nativity this Christmas. He warned the silent voice of God can easily be overrun by the noisiness of consumerism during the Christmas season. You can find these stories and more on catholicnewsagency.com. For CNA Newsroom, I'm Kate Bike. It has been nearly one month since firefighters contained the campfire in Northern California. The wildfire was the most destructive in California's history. It burned through some 153,000 acres and it killed at least 85 people. Even though wildfires no longer dominate our news feeds and most of us have moved on to other stories, residents in cities like Paradise and Chico aren't moving on. Many of them are still grappling with the loss of their friends or family members, their homes, and sometimes even their jobs. Our producer, Jonah McEwen, spoke with Father Michael Ritter, who is pastor of St. John the Baptist Parish in Chico. The parish and local St. Vincent de Paul Center have helped 2,000 families this past month. Father Ritter told us some of those families include immigrants who either lost their documentation in the fire or are undocumented and are afraid to seek out federal aid. Here's some of that conversation. For the undocumented immigrants or immigrants who who lost their paperwork, um, could you tell me a little bit about what you were able to do for them? Right. Part of our uh, the concern there is that, that there's a kind of an inherent, I guess, discomfort with approaching a, you know, with FEMA and everything at the, at the DRC, that that's very intimidating. And so uh, the hope is that the, the parish provides a place of maybe greater confidence or trust where people who wouldn't be able to approach a federal 
agency for support can get the same kinds of services, which again, we're looking at the long-term uh, accompaniment and case management and um, resources that maybe wouldn't be restricted the way federal resources would be restricted. Again, one of the, the great needs that I've seen, uh, housing, people just, they need places to stay. Um, so, you know, families within the parish that are kind of on their own organically doing that is a big piece. And just the uh, the emotional and spiritual uh, accompaniment piece that seemed to be really big, uh, a place to gather to worship, a place to be heard and recognized. I was hearing from other people that, you know, the area around Chico and Paradise, there was a lot of low-income people who were maybe renting or even living in trailer parks right. and stuff like that. And they just, you know, when they lost everything, they really did lose everything and, and they're not getting an insurance check. So, um, right. And, and a lot of people have lost work. So, so it really is kind of an overwhelming uh, problem. And that's something that we're still trying to, at least personally, uh, something we're still trying to get our head around getting real, meaningful, long-term resources for people. Um, that's really the, those are the kinds of things we're trying to identify whether as people are looking for the funding that's going to sustain them as they, as they rent a place or say whatever, as they look for work. And I'm sure there are people who have a better uh, sense of, of what that looks like than I do. I feel like our, our strength, particularly at the parish is that the human uh, element in terms of meeting people and, uh, and empathy and, and um, you know, our effort to be present. But uh, again, I think, uh, What's needed is money. How can anyone who's listening to this help you? <laughs> it's a good question. I think prayer is certainly a, a big piece here. Um, we've been we've been burning through gift cards for people at the uh, DRC and just through our work with St. Vincent Paul. So that's probably the most helpful material type of contribution uh, right now. You know, I think as we 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 get past this initial first response phase, the uh, the needs are going to change and they're going to become more clear. You know, one of the problems in Chico is there just isn't a lot of available housing. And so whether people relocate or try to figure out uh, what to do now that their home is gone, their jobs are gone, that's, it's kind of a complicated question. Um, I think that's what we're trying to figure out. Well, Father, thanks again for talking to me and thank you for the good work you're doing. But is, is there anything that, you know, that I didn't ask about that you'd like people to know about your relief effort or what people need or you know, anything like that? Yeah. You know, I think one of the, uh, you know, what I would share is just uh, an impression. That is uh, how uh, how generous people have been. And it, it really is incredible to, to be a witness to some of the great solidarity that we're seeing. And this has definitely changed the culture of Butte County. And uh, there is, there is, I think, on the part of so many here and so many in other places, that's that, that genuine concern and desire to help is in and of itself a wonderful resource and, and where we're at right now or where I feel I'm at is figuring out what to do with that. I guess my biggest plea would be uh, that that we have to recognize that this is going to be a very long-term effort. And uh, my experience was, you know, within the first 12 hours, the first 48 hours, there's a huge and very emotional uh, impulse to, to, uh, to do something, to give something, you know. But um, I guess my, my big ask for people would be to not lose that enthusiasm because we're talking about many months or even years for a real recovery here. And uh, where the help is really going to be needed is six months from now and a year from now. And when, when all of the energy of the initial response impulses has been used up, I think we're still going to have families who don't have homes, who don't have jobs, hang around for the long haul because this is a long haul. Well, Father, thank you very much. Hey, thanks so much. 
I used to work right across the street from the Cathedral Basilica of the Immaculate Conception in downtown Denver. It was a cool neighborhood and a cool parish. But the greatest day of the neighborhood was a day when people who are usually on the peripheries, people who most of us didn't see, felt like the heart of the neighborhood. The day of the annual Father Woody giveaway. I want to tell you about that giveaway. Jonah McEwen brings us this segment from the Cathedral Basilica in Denver, Colorado. It's a crisp December morning in downtown Denver, Colorado, as rays of sun begin to touch the nearby Rocky Mountains. As the sky continues to lighten over the towers of Denver's Cathedral Basilica of the Immaculate Conception, the light reveals an unusual sight. Hundreds of people, many of them homeless, waiting in line for a special Christmas gift. And I'm here to pick up $20 that uh, from the Catholic Church. Uh, they're blessing us with $20, so we got a whole big handful of people. That's right, two $10 bills with no strings attached. Father Woody's is uh, the one that uh, sponsored this uh, whole project right here. It's part of an annual event called Father Woody's Giveaway, named after longtime Denver priest Monsignor Charles Woodridge, whose love and devotion to the poor was legendary. Davis, you're pretty close to the start of the line. How early did you have to get here? Oh, I showed up about 12 o'clock uh, midnight, and I spent the night out here. Wow, so, so you've been here since midnight. Yeah. Wow. It's a very eclectic bunch present today, as you can imagine. People are chatting, smoking, or playing music to pass the time. You can tell everybody this is your song. Maybe quite simple, but now that it's done. A couple of the guests are understandably not in a chatty mood, but a few are. I asked them a simple question. Yeah, I'm just asking people how they're doing and what they're going to use their $20 for. Food for what? Food, they, I can tell you that. Food, cigarettes. Do you mind telling me what, what are you going to use your $20 for? Um, probably go buy me a couple t-shirts or something. If you don't mind my asking, what are you going to do with your $20? Um, I don't know. I'm probably just going to save it for lunch. <laughs> probably eat and buy back cigarettes and, uh, you know. I'm going to give me some McDonald's first. Big breakfast. Pancakes, big breakfast, pancakes, sausage, eggs. What are you going to use the $20 for? Laundry. <laughs> <laughs> Laundry and makeup. ID. Oh, yeah, that's right. Somebody stole my wallet, so I can get another ID. To be sure, not everyone was planning on using their Christmas cash for necessities. It's going to be alcohol. Even the stores around here wait for this day. Liquor <laughs> store, McDonald's, for real. What are you going to do with your $20? Laundry and cigarettes. Probably buy me a soda. But I gotta buy the paints for a uh, uh, model helicopter I got. It's a Huey. Can't tell what you're gonna do until you got that twenty dollars in your hand. Yeah, cause so, so you can do you can do just about anything. <laughs> you can do just about anything with that twenty dollars when it's in your hand. I ran into a couple of young missionaries with a Catholic organization called Christ in the City that works to serve, feed, and befriend the homeless in Denver year round. A lot of our friends on the street are here, so we're just here hanging out, chatting with them as they wait in line. I think um, it speaks a lot to the legacy of Father Woody and just how much he loved to uh, serve the homeless here in Denver and without any reservations. A lot of people think that, like, oh, giving money to the homeless is, is a bad thing. And like I said, going back to what Father Woody said, like, no judging, like, it, 
it's just, you know, they can do what they need to do. It's just a blessing to be a part of this, really. Uh, just another way to serve our friends um, and to really love them in whatever way we can as missionaries here. As the guests file into the cathedral doors, they're greeted by the sound of Christmas carols and grand music from the massive organ overhead. Hundreds of men and women, and even a few kids and babies, crowd into the wooden pews, filling the church to capacity. The Knights of Columbus are on hand to help out, as are many students from the local Regis University. I caught up with Lovey Ship, a longtime helper and friend of Father Woody's, right before the giveaway began. I asked her about her friend and former employer, who passed away in 1991. The nine years I worked for Father Woody were the best years of my life. And I, um, just thinking about him, it's, it's a joy. He would give away his coat to the homeless. He'd take your coat. You got a nice car to get into. That that man is freezing and he, he, my coat doesn't fit you, give him your coat. Father Woody was pastor of Holy Ghost Catholic Church in downtown Denver. And it was a particularly harsh blizzard in 1982, Lovey told me, that spurred Father Woody to open the church's doors and invite the homeless in, at least until they found somewhere else to stay. They were huddled in all the church doors. He unlocked the doors and said, come in, come in. This is a rich country. Nobody should freeze to death. And he let the homeless in, and they never really left until he found them a place over at Cathedral High School Gym. He took them there, and from there came the Samaritan House. The Samaritan House, one of Denver's largest homeless shelters, which is now owned by Catholic Charities. His legacy of giving continues today with an annual Christmas party for the poor, which was held this past Sunday, as well as the cash giveaway and a service center called Father Woody's Haven of Hope. He always said that um, at Christmas time, nobody should be happier than the homeless because they're going to see a lot of dark days. They should have, it should be a gala there. He said every man, every person should have a dollar bill in their pocket at least once a year. That's how the cash giveaway came. 28 years we've done it. Still sharp and sprightly at age 91, Lovey told me that Father Woody's example is what keeps her going and inspires her to keep serving. Learn how to smile and be inclusive. The homeless people, that's your brother. The Bible told you, when you ask who is your brother, every man is your brother. Every man is your brother. So if you say you follow God's example, it's not a smorgasbord. You can't pick and choose. You've got to put on the whole garment or you lose. You lose. They do know when they're being disrespected. And if you can't give them a gift with respect, keep it. Keep it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Father Ron Catani offered prayers for those present before the giveaway, reminding them that service to the poor is a gift, especially at Christmas. Christ, in his great love for us, taught that whatever we do for the least of his brothers, we do for him. Throughout the entire prayer service, a portrait of Father Woody sat in the middle of the church, a reminder to everyone of the example of someone who loved Christ so much that he saw him in everyone he met. 
someone that brings us all together in all of this. And who is that? It's Father Woody. All right. Sometimes poor means poor in, in, in financial. Sometimes it means poor in health. Sometimes it means poor in spirit. But what's interesting is it didn't matter to Father Woody. After the final blessing, the people come up one by one to receive their Christmas money, all of which comes from donors. You cannot sit in church for an hour or an hour and a half and call yourself a Catholic. He said you got to go out and live it. Is that right? For CNA Newsroom, I'm Jonah McKeown. In the town of Gower, Missouri, about 45 minutes north of Kansas City, a community of Benedictine nuns spend each day in prayer and silent work. To support themselves, the nuns run a small farm, and they hand sew vestments for priests to use at altars around the world. And every once in a while, the nuns put down their sewing equipment, go into their studio, and they drop some sweet, sweet tracks. The Benedictines of Mary, Queen of the Apostles, have been Billboard's best-selling classical traditional artist several years in a row. Their albums have topped Billboard's top traditional classical albums. CNA's managing editor, Carl Bunderson, gave them a call. Carl's actually pretty good friends with the Sisters of Gower, and he talked with them about how they celebrate Christmas and why they started producing albums. Here's some of their conversation. How does your community celebrate Christmas? Oh boy, we have a lot of fun. <laughs> you know, it's one of the things I always get. I'm um, actually the novice mistress, but some of the postulants and novices coming in, they say, I didn't celebrate Christmas before I came here. It's, it's very much centered on our Lord. So it begins with the Christmas Eve murderology. And the martyrology is the reading of the saints of the day for the next day in anticipation. So on Christmas Eve is the special proclamation of the birth of our Lord, which recounts all of salvation history up until the birth of Christ in chant. And then we have three masses, midnight mass, which is sung, the dawn mass, which is called the shepherd's mass. It's a little bit, it's a low mass and, and uh, much, much more intimate. And then finally the day mass, which would be about noon, where we commemorate uh, Christ coming, the Word made flesh. So there's there's three different aspects: the aspect of the angels at midnight, of the shepherds at dawn, and then of the salvation of the world at, at midday.
uh, we are also permitted to talk most of Christmas Day, which is kind of a novelty for us because we almost don't know what to talk about after <laughs> after being silent for so long. But also, it's the the liturgy is such a beautiful expression. There's not much more that needs to be said either. So, but no, we we definitely enjoy each other's company. Uh, we open all our Christmas mail because we don't receive letters during Advent, and then our family and friends will also send us Christmas presents. That's something. Uh, people, I think they pity us. They say, oh, you don't have presents around the tree. I say, oh, yes, we do. <laughs> and, and plenty of them. So it's just a, a beautiful, beautiful day. And then it continues all through the octave. We celebrate Christmas all eight days. Can you speak a little about the Christmas albums that the community has produced uh, and how they've been received? Yes, we have two Christmas albums. Christmas at Ephesus, which was the one we had done back in 2008, contains a lot of the carols and hymns that we sing actually on Christmas. But caroling is more the ones that we sing for fun, just around the fire and so forth. And we had a lot of international ones in that in that album, Caroling at Ephesus. And uh, thanks be to God, we have a couple of sisters who are very apt with languages in our community, so they guided us through the pronunciation and so forth. We really had a lot of fun recording uh, caroling, just like the hymns and songs that are on there. It's more for fun. Why does the community decide to produce the albums? Oh, well, it was mostly in a fundraising venture because we are self-sufficient financially, uh, but just, just to have a greater outreach also, because... We can't, we can't really go out and do fundraising or give concerts or anything, but we thought this might be a good way to somewhat extend our apostolate of chanting and singing to a wider audience, even though we're doing it every day. I think some of the most heartwarming stories are when people say they've come back to the faith or have uh, consoled a dying family member uh, through our music. And that's always a beautiful thing to see because... I believe the contemplative vocation is one of faith. We don't get to see the fruits of our apostolate like teaching sisters or nursing sisters would be able to. But because our apostolate is prayer, there's very little opportunity to actually see the fruits of our works. And in this case, we would be hearing or uh, receiving letters from people who have heard our our music and it's been a, a source of grace for them. And that's always a consolation to us.
The community just had a new Abbey Church built and installed. Was that made possible through the albums in part? Yes, yes, it's really been amazing. We, we, we certainly appreciate a beautiful space to worship our Lord in, and it's very conducive to prayer. The, the office has, has been so much more rewarding to sing in such a beautiful space, and the acoustics are excellent. Sister Scholastica, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today. We pray that you and your community have a wonderful and blessed Christmas. Thank you. A very blessed and Merry Christmas to you, too. God bless you all at Catholic News Agency. That's it for this week's episode of CNA Newsroom. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to CNA Newsroom on your favorite podcast platform and tell your family and friends about us. The government is probably going to shut down for Christmas, and our podcast team is too. We won't have an episode for you guys next week, but we will be back in the new year. Get ready for it. CNA Newsroom is a production of Catholic News Agency, a service of EWTN News. I'm your host and CNA's editor-in-chief, J.D. Flynn. We're produced and edited by Kate Vike and Jonah McKeown. Our executive producer is the very Mary Kate Vike. Special thanks this week to the Benedictines of Mary, Queen of the Apostles, to Father Michael Ritter, to Lovey Ship, and to all of our friends on the street at the Father Woody Giveaway. Merry Christmas, everybody.